but uh, we'll talk. We'll talk later. Well, so a couple things I should get out of the way first. I left you a boy and came back a man. <laughs> Took me two. I've been growing this for two years. I've been gone like officially two years and a couple days. It took me two years and a couple days to grow what um, Dave Duquesne uh, had at, at birth. At birth, he came out with, with about that much. So, but I did hear a rumor. Somebody was like, wait, is, is Andy trying to be a, a hipster? That's just as silly as it sounds. No, I still have... I still have jeans that I buy at Walmart or Target, so that automatically excludes me from all hipster categories, so you don't have to worry at all about that. Uh, Shannon is here for a few minutes. She's excited to uh, see you guys as well. So we're gonna be at church at the uh, 1030 service on Sunday with cute little Abigail. She's a little beautiful genius now. And chunky fat boy Gideon <laughs> will also be there. That's my son. I made him, yeah. He's a little eight-month-old ball of butter. <clears throat> so if you like butter, lick him, all right? Or bring some corn and rub it on him. Just saying, those are, those are good things to do. Well, if you have a Bible, you're a Christian. Uh, also, you can open up to Isaiah chapter seven. If you miss, if you, if you just, like a few minutes ago before you got here, gave away your Bible to a homeless person because you're that much a Christian, then you can raise your hand and borrow one of ours. So only Christians in the house tonight. <clears throat> Where is... Who bought me Dunkin' Donuts tonight? Here you go. All right. I roll up to Dunkin' Donuts and had no money. <laughs> Saddest moment of New Jersey. But some impactor saved me. Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> hey. You're doing a great job, man. Oh. Except for the nose punch. Should I make hopping noises? what you did. <laughs> I'm fixing it again. It's okay. All right, well, it's good to be back at Impact. Shannon and I think about you guys a lot, and uh, we pray for you guys. Alan's doing a great job, and I'm excited to share the scriptures with you. So I'm at the Bible College. I think most of you guys know. If you guys want to have a good semester away from your parents, just to kind of make sure you've got a foundation in your faith before you go to a secular college or something like that, then the Bible College is a great place to go. It's a beautiful campus we have out there. It's only 3,500 bucks for the semester, and that includes all your housing, books, food, and tuition, and everything that you need. And it's a great place to hear what the Lord has to say about you. So we've got three impactors heading there this fall. Nick Espinoza, Nick Dunphy, and Larissa Vermook. So, <clears throat> really excited about that. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll be in Isaiah chapter 7. Father, we thank you for any opportunity to open up the Scriptures. And if we were smarter, we would open up the Scriptures more often. And if we weren't so foolish, we wouldn't be so distracted away by, by really dumb insignificant things like TV, iPad, screen time, hanging out with people. Uh, Lord, so we desire to be smarter. We know in our best moments we realize that a strong relationship with you, a life led by you is going to lead to the most joy, satisfaction, to the least pain and regret and embarrassment. And uh, we're also going to be able to be used to fulfill the mission that you give each of us individually to expand your kingdom. And so. May we be people that love the scriptures more than anything else. Lord, may the scriptures be on our, our, on our tongue, ready to be spoken to other people rather than all the dumb things that we talk about. May we encourage each other in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you had a retreat, and uh, the theme of the retreat was faith. Something faith? Faith, just faith. <clears throat> Faith. Okay, good. 
Running faith, living by faith. All right, good. So I was going to follow up on that message, and and, uh, if you're taking notes tonight, because you are a solid believer who likes to, who expects to hear from God when the scriptures are opened, or this guilt trip is working and you're grabbing a pen right now, if you're taking notes, tonight's title is Firm in Faith. We want to be firm in our faith. So the title is Firm in Faith. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through ish. All right. So tonight what I want to do, because this, you know, this, this past weekend when you guys were at your tr- retreat, you're learning that faith is important. I mean, if I were to ask you not a trick question, what separates a believer in God, a Christian, from an atheist, there's a lot of things that they do the, sa- the same. There's like an atheist, there's like an, uh, an atheist, you know, uh, charity that gives money to those that are in disasters even though they're not Christians. Atheists do a lot of similar things. Sometimes they get together and they, they, uh, they talk about things on Sundays. They go to coffee shops and read a book. And there's a lot of similar things they do. The big thing that separates us is that we have faith in God, that we have faith in God. And so we want to be strong in our faith because if you have weak faith, then not only are you unsure about where you stand with God, are you really going to heaven? How can you be used by God to affect change in this world? But, I mean, that's just a really, that's a, that's a weak foundation to have. And so God is kind enough to test our faith, to show us if we have real faith or not. And so tonight we're going to talk about five ways that God tries to strengthen our faith. So God knows our faith is important. So he, he does at least five things to try and strengthen our faith. But then we're also going to look at five things that we can do to strengthen our own faith proactively. So at different times in your life, God's going to do one of these five things, and I hope that you recognize them as you go through life as faith-building opportunities. But then if you're waiting for God to do one of those five things, I want to give you five things that you can do on your own starting this weekend to build your faith up. So your homework will be build your own faith up doing these five things and then be on the lookout for the five ways that God tries to strengthen your faith as well. Because without faith, is it impossible to please God? Now in Isaiah chapter 7, I don't really have to give you much of the background information because we have it in the first verse. So we'll, we'll just go ahead and join right in. But basically, Israel and Syria are joining together to attack Judah. So it shouldn't be that way. I mean, remember, Israel and Judah are God's people, but they're separate kingdoms. And so in, in, in the book of Kings and Chronicles, we see them battling each other for stupid reasons, usually. And now one of those kingdoms, Israel, is joining up with Syria to fight their brother, Judah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, almost named Gideon Pekah, the son of Remaliah, not true, uh, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. So Isaiah is starting this section by showing us, as the readers of this text, that God is going to ultimately protect Jerusalem. So I don't think Ahaz is hearing verse 1. Verse 1 is for us. Verse 1 so that we know what the end result is going to be. So God's queuing up the story, saying... There's going to be this epic battle. It's terrifying, but I'm going to win. Jerusalem's going to be safe. With, with that said, now we get into the dialogue that begins to unfold, and this is what the people are hearing. But, but I mean, this alliance between Israel and Syria is talked about in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28, and it's no joke. They, they win some serious battles. Pekah, this king of Israel, killed 120,000 men of Judah in one day. <clears throat> I mean, that, that hasn't even really happened in American history. I mean, in one day, to lose that many people is crazy. Uh, the Syrians carried away captive a lot of the people from Judah. Pekah took 200,000 people captive, and only because a prophet stood up and said, are you crazy? These are your brothers in the Lord. Did they then send those people back? So this was a powerful alliance that we learn about in the scriptures. So how do we see God using this horrible situation to strengthen the faith of the people of Judah? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, 
God strengthens faith by bringing trials. Pick the least fun way to get your faith strengthened. God strengthens faith by bringing trials. Our faith is precious, right? I mean, 1 Peter 1.7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's precious. If you, if you should want your faith to be tested. Like, well, I don't like trials. I don't like sickness. I don't like death. I don't like financial, you know, issues. I don't like being poor. I don't like trials. I don't like allergies, right? We, we don't like trials, and yet trials are a great way for us to examine our faith and to have our faith strengthened. That's why James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So because our faith is tested by a trial, something is produced. God strengthens our character, our, our integrity. And so God, wanting to strengthen our faith because it's the most important thing about us, strengthens our faith by bringing us trials. And so we see that in verse 2. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart, this is Ahaz, and the heart of his people are moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Now, you might not understand that reference right off the bat, but it basically means they're just a bunch of wimps. They were terrified. They were, they were moving because of the circumstances, and they weren't solid. They're not like a rock. God is a rock. God is a fortress. These guys, they're just moving because the wind is blowing. And so it's showing how weak they are. Ahaz had to fear the enemy because he didn't fear God. If you choose to fear God, you don't have to fear the enemy at all. Now, the enemy had destroyed much of Judah, like I talked about. Is Jerusalem going to be next? But what I want you guys to remember tonight is that when a difficult situation comes your way, when God tries to strengthen your faith by a trial, don't be bummed out about that. Don't be upset about that. Be encouraged that God cares about you so much that he's giving you a difficult situation. And if you respond as if God doesn't exist, then you've got weak faith. But at least now you know that. So something bad happens to you, and you're, all you do is moan, complain, groan, you know, and you're just completely upset, and you don't ever have a heavenly perspective about it. Oh, I can't believe... So for instance, 30 minutes ago, I go to Dunkin' Donuts, right? And I roll up to Dunkin' Donuts, and that's like all... That's the only thing I've had every single day since I've been here is a kiss from Abigail and Dunkin' Donuts, Every single, that's just something that does not exist a lot in California, and so we're missing it. So, like, yes, Dunkin' Donuts. So I, I roll into the new Dunkin' Donuts. You guys are blessed. Little drive through. I pull up to the drive through, so there's no stress there. And I can't find my wallet anywhere. So, car, you know, cars behind me and everything. I'm like pulling the seats all apart. And I got to the point where I was like, oh, come on! Like, come on! I'm just, I'm gonna go preach and stuff. I need coffee. And I'm all frustrated. Why? Because I just have this dumb earthly perspective that life's all about me getting my coffee. And that's what, that's what should give me a bad attitude. So I'm grumbling, being like, this is ridiculous. You know, I can't believe this. And I pull around the corner and I see three lovely ladies from Impact. And God's like, you didn't have to complain. They'll buy you coffee. And I was like, girls. And they're like, we got it. We got it. And I was like, man, I just failed a test. Right before Impact, a micro trial comes up. This is like a first world problem, right? Micro trial. I'm going to get my coffee. You know, people are dying all over the world. They want my coffee. And God's like, I'm not even listening. Michael, the archangel, deal with this. I'm not even going to listen to this guy. He like walks away and Michael's like, I'm Michael. I'm not dealing with this. Waldo, the lower dwarf angel, you deal with this. And Waldo's like, I'm going to send three kids to, you know, to, help, to help Andy. You know, and Waldo's like, this is my first, you know, first big mission from Michael. None of that happened. This is not in the Bible. This didn't happen. There was no vision. But I'm just trying to explain how dumb it was. Why did I get all bummed out about a little trial? You know, but it, my, my faith is weak in that moment, you could say, or, or whatever. But when God gives you a difficult situation, you could just be all bummed out and furious with God. Or you could pretend that he exists. Right? So if you're just focusing on the situation, then you've got no faith. But if you can have a heavenly perspective, you've got faith. 
And so you guys know, I was here when we lost our first baby in the womb, right? 12, 12 weeks into the pregnancy and we lose Enoch. And we're at, the, we're at the doctor's office, they can't find a heartbeat. And then we have three hours until the ultrasound tech comes in and we're just bawling our eyes out, begging the Lord, if our child's dead, revive him, you know? And, and we go back and sure enough, the baby's not moving and our, our kid dies. Now in a situation like that, death, death of a, we had the whole nursery already decorated, right? There's just no sadder situation that we could think of. And so what, what's going to happen? Well, instantly we've got no other choice because we've gone from being the happiest people on the planet to the saddest people on the planet. And so instantly we have to look to God. And in his mercy and in his grace, he speaks to us immediately and gives us the name of our kid. He goes, you will name him Enoch Nahum Dean. The kind of name that if you were in fourth grade, you'd get beat up having. But in heaven, you don't get beat up a lot. A lot. <laughs> At all. <laughs> There's no verse for that. So, and so immediately God speaks to us and gives us a name. Enoch walked with God and was not because the Lord took him. Nahum 1.7, God is good. The Lord is good. And that's what happened. The Lord took him, but the Lord's good. And from that, from, from within, literally within six, seven minutes of, of confirming our baby's dead, God speaks to us and sustains us. And every single day after that, we're reading the scriptures, we're crying together, we're praying, Christians are coming alongside us. And the end result is that our faith is strengthened. Why is it strengthened? Because I didn't look at God and say, you did this, you killed my baby. I didn't, I didn't do that. I said, God, I need your help. You're a good God, even though a bad thing happened. And, and that's one of those situations where, you know, God is real. And so I'm responding like this to God because he's real. And God strengthens. He gave me an opportunity to have my faith strengthened by trusting in him. That's the first way. The second way we can have our faith strengthened is that, and, and the way that God does it, God strengthens faith by sending messengers. So God strengthens faith, number one, by sending trials. Number two, God strengthens faith by sending messengers. We see this in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, get out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shirjashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to Fuller's Field. Isaiah didn't love his child. That's why he named him this. Now, I think God, I think God named him this because God, look at, look at how specific this verse is. God is saying, go meet Ahaz, and he's going to be at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the Fuller's Field. I mean, it's like, He's saying, if you start walking now, by the time you get there, this is where he's going to be based on where he's walking. That's specific. It's amazing. God knows exactly where Ahaz would be. Isaiah didn't know where he would be. And he knows exactly who to send. Because it, it isn't just Isaiah by himself. He says, bring your son. Why bring your son? Why bring your son to this you know, horrible confrontation? Well, as an object lesson, because Shir Jashub isn't just a weird name, it's as if God named this boy for this moment because his name means a remnant shall return. So Ahaz is here talking to Isaiah, and he's like, oh, here's my son, a remnant shall return. He's like, what do you, what do you mean a remnant shall return? We're all here. Well, you're, you're going to be brought into exile because of your wickedness, but don't worry, a remnant will return. Well, don't, don't say that. What do you mean? Who are you to say that we're going to be brought into exile and only a few of us are going to return? You see, God had a message to give them, and it was through the name of Isaiah's son. Who knows how long this kid waited to find, oh, that's why I'm named this. That's why I have this horrible name, to honor God, to be a part of prophecy. God sent his messenger with a, a message that Ahaz would hear loud and clear. But you know, God still sends his messengers and his messengers are all in this room right now. Each of you can be a messenger of God. Now, each of you will not be a messenger of God because you're gonna, some of you are going to choose to be distracted away by stupid little trivial things and never be used to your full potential of using your mouth to be a messenger of God. And yet some of you are going to have moments where you're praying and saying, Lord, help me. Help me to be an encourager today. Lord, if you want me to speak to anybody, show me. If you want me to pray with anyone, show me who it is. And you become a messenger of God. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in the hearts to, to the Lord. And so, you know, in Colossians 3.16 here, it tells us how we should be using our words. We should be using our words to edify one another, to build each other up, to encourage one another. 
Now, I know sarcasm's cool. By the way, it's less cool on the, on the West Coast. Everyone just thinks I'm mean. <laughs> Even when you're just direct with somebody, someone like says, oh, like, like how do you, you know, Shannon, for instance, Shannon being back in New Jersey, somebody's like, oh, your hair. <laughs> and she's like, I'm back in New Jersey. <laughs> People are direct. In California, they'd be like, oh, your hair looks so good. And they don't ever, don't ever tell you the truth, you know? In New Jersey, they just tell you the truth, and apparently that's mean. <laughs> it's not. Shannon wasn't offended. She's glad to be back here hearing those things, too. But you know what? We can, all of our words can be used. Now, you can choose to just be a funny guy, and you're like, who are you talking, Mr. Funny Guy? I'm Mr. Funny Guy that prays all the time, Lord, if I never crack another joke, but I can be used to encourage people, that's fine. If I lose all of my personality that makes me who I am, but my words encourage people, then I'm happy, Lord. And that's hard, obviously. You're like, you're not there yet. I know. <laughs> that's why I pray it so much. All right? And so you guys can be a messenger from God. I swear, even though you're not supposed to. I cuss. No. I swear. I swear. If you pray, if you say, God, make me one of your messengers today. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to wig out. He's going to be like, what? Because when Jesus was here, what do you, how do you think he used his mouth? Do you think it was like, check this out, you know, and tell some kind of a real sarcastic joke that makes somebody else look dumb? No. He knew he had like 33 years or so, and so every moment he had, he was encouraging one, someone and blessing them. And, and so if he hears that somebody in his body, right, somebody in the body of Christ says, I'll be your mouthpiece, you better believe he's going to give you opportunities. And you're going to go through it. It might not happen the first day or the first week, but if you keep praying, Lord, help me to be sensitive to your spirit. Give me opportunities. Then all of a sudden, you'll talk to somebody, and they may even say something like, I feel like the Lord sent you to me. I feel like that was from the Lord. I feel like God told you to say that. And like they're going to confirm that God is using you. There's no greater feeling on earth than to know that the very moment you're in is the center of God's will. It doesn't necessarily always happen the first time you pray that prayer because that's a muscle you haven't flexed very often. But if you're faithful to stay in that mindset, you become a messenger of God and you can be used to strengthen the faith of others. The third way that God strengthens our faith is by showing us reality. By showing us reality. Look at verse 4. So he says, you're going to meet this guy and say to him, take heed and be quiet which is basically like, stop crying. He probably was whimpering because he was all afraid. Take heed, be quiet, and do not fear or be faint-hearted. So it couldn't be any clearer, right? Stop crying, don't fear, or be faint-hearted. For these two stubs of smoking firebrands for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria, the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go against Judah and trouble it. We'll make a gap in, their wall, in the wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. And they've got these plans. And God's like, stop it. Stop crying. And God strengthens our faith by showing us what's really going on. Why was it so difficult for Ahaz to listen to God and not fear? Because he didn't see the situation the same way the Lord did. You see, God sees reality. He calls, is, he calls Israel and Syria, these two big forces coming against J Jerusalem, he calls them whimpering lights. You know, they'd like, they'd like you to think that they're a raging fire, but he calls them two little embers that are about to burn out. That's all they are. That's what the NLT describes this verse. It says, he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burnt out embers. Just smoke, you know, not, not fire at all. That's how God sees reality. God, there's an army coming against us. He's like, you mean, you mean those two little candles? <laughs> Israel and Syria dead, <laughs> you know, because God's like, he did it. He did it to Assyria, not Syria. Assyria is outside the kingdom, and Hezekiah is like, God, do you hear what they're saying about you? And he's like, watch this. Achoo! And 180,000 of them die. I don't know if the sneeze actually happened, but 185,000 of them die. Is, is, Jerusalem doesn't even lift a finger. It's not like there was one amazing boomerang. It's like just decapitating everyone as it was going on. No, some angel just came down and just killed them all. And they woke up and there's like one guy left just so he could take the news back. And he's like, okay. 185,000 people die because God said so. So if God says your enemy is nothing, they're nothing. 
They're absolutely nothing. I, you know, God reminds us today that our enemies aren't that scary. You know, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that one day, all those people that intimidate you, that say, you're a, you're a dumb Christian. You're, an, you're one of those people. You're an idiot. You really still believe in those fairy tales and those myths and they try and bully you into submission, make you feel like you're, you're dumb because you're not partying with them and you believe all this stuff. Do you realize those people that maybe you're afraid of, the Bible says one day that every knee shall bow. What's afraid of this? If you saw someone in the mall doing that, you wouldn't be running. You'd be like, little girl, are you okay? That's, now that's the sad truth of everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. One day they're gonna bow because they're being forced to bow and then they're gonna be judged and, and cast into hell. What's, what's so scary about the quivering guy bowing down? That's the person that doesn't believe in Jesus. Whereas in you bow down because your king's here. You're like, my king's here, my king's here. You know, and you're just sitting there, this is awesome, it's happening, you know, and you're just amped up and he's like, rise, and you're like, woohoo. The little guy cowering over there is the same person who's trying to beat you up, who's trying to make fun of you. There's nothing to be afraid of, of somebody who's whimpering like that in the future, as tough as they say they are now. Even the devil. Don't go picking on the devil, but Isaiah 14 describes that in the future, one day when we look at the devil, people are going to say, is this the man who made the earth tremble? This little fella, you know, this little guy. You know, you picture Will Ferrell in the, the off, you know, the scene in the, the conference center. He's like, he's a cute, cute little guy. He's like, say it one more time. Except he doesn't do that. He doesn't win. You know, Will Ferrell wins. God is Will Ferrell. And he wins in that illustration in the elf. We're going to look at the devil one day and be like, that's the guy? I was afraid of that? That's the truth of the devil. I mean, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so God strengthens our faith by showing us reality. We win in the future. So start acting like you're going to win now. Go out and share your faith. Be bold in front of the people that are trying to take you out and, and make fun of you. And who cares if they ruin your rep, you know, on, on Facebook or Twitter or any of those things? Who cares? What are they really going to do? The people that actually love you aren't going to believe it anyway, you know, and, and you go on and you live your life for the Lord no matter what. The fourth way that God strengthens faith is by declaring victory in advance. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. You're like, why does God keep on saying the head of this, the head of that? He's just saying, I know who these people are. They're not very impressive. And the previous way God strengthens our faith is by showing us reality. They're whimpering, flickering lights that they're trying to act like a raging fire. And then the fourth way is by declaring victory in advance. God showed Ahaz that Jerusalem will be saved. Israel and Syria hurt Judah, the region of Judah. The region of Judah got hurt pretty bad, but they wouldn't capture Jerusalem. They'd win a lot of battles, but not the war. You know, Satan and the world, they, they hurt Christians. Christians are, are being beheaded in Iraq right now as this, you know, ISIS army marches across instituting Sharia law, and they're even murdering other Muslims that they don't agree with, but they're, I read an article tonight that little kids, little Christian kids are getting beheaded in Iraq today. You know, so Satan hurts. That hurts. You know, you can't get over stuff like that in life. You just wait for heaven. Satan hurts Christians, but we win the war in the end. We've got to, unless your Bible's been ripped, you've got a book of Revelation, right? You, you've seen the end result. And just like God strength, tried to strengthen the faith of Ahaz by saying, it's not going to come to pass. It's not going to stand. I'm, I'm God. Like, you should just listen. He, he says the same thing to us. Like, you're, you're going to win. You're, you're part of the winning team. Everything's going to be okay. So Ahaz has an opportunity. God challenges us to believe in him and be blessed. Look at verse 9. It says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So God has promised Ahaz that he's going to win. This isn't going to happen. Now Ahaz must believe. God has promised Ahaz must believe. Whether Ahaz believes or not, 
Jerusalem's going to be saved. Either way. But if Ahaz believes in God, then his life and his reign as king will be blessed. You know, if Ahaz doesn't believe God, then, you know, he's going to lose his, his kingship. You know, and Satan will be defeated, whether we believe it or not. But if we believe, then our life is going to be blessed. So God gives us the same opportunity. He's like, hey, you're going to win. Now act like it. Act like it. Have faith. And he tries to strengthen our faith by giving us a book like Revelation. Ahaz was challenged to have faith in God's promises. How did Ahaz respond to such assistance from God? Well, unfortunately, we don't see it here. But in 2 Kings 16, instead of trusting God, he trusts man. Let me read it to you. You don't have to turn there. So Ahaz got this message where God's like, it's not going to happen. You're fine. Thinks about it. And then it says, I have an idea. And he says this. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. This is a king of, of Judah saying this to a foreign, a foreign king. I'm your servant and your son. Come save me from the hand of king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was in the house of the Lord and sent it as a present to the king of Syria. The king of Syria heeded him for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive and killed Rezim. So what happened? Ahaz panics, trusts in man instead of trusting in God. So he goes to the king of Assyria, different than Syria, says, here's some money from the temple of God. I'm your son. I'm your child. I'm your servant, which is a slap in the face to the true God. So the king of Assyria comes, invades Damascus, the headquarters of Syria, takes some people captive and kills the king of Israel. So what's Ahaz thinking? The plan worked. King of Israel's dead. Syria just got brought into captivity. I'm a pretty good king. I saved us. Jerusalem was saved. Well, Jerusalem was going to be saved one way or another. And yet Ahaz just had to believe. Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord, obviously, as he's trusting in man. After this, he built an altar that he found at Damascus when he went up there to meet the king of Assyria there. And he brought a fake altar back to, to Israel. And he continued to rebel so much that the Edomites and the Philistines began to defeat Judah. And at this point, years later, when the Edomites and the Philistines are now attacking Judah, he goes, wait a second, I'll just call my buddy again, the king of Assyria. He tries the same exact strategy, but instead, this time, the king of Assyria distresses the king of Judah. So he still takes all the money. He's like, hey, thanks for all the money. Yeah, we did business last time, but I think I'm just going to come kill you guys. And he comes and attacks Judah instead. So he thought he would be able to use the same exact strategy. It didn't work. So what's happening? God didn't establish Ahaz like he promised. He said, if you just believe in me, I'll establish you. But if not, right? I mean, remember in verse 9 there, and let me read it to you in the ESV. In the New King James, it says, If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. In the ESV, it says, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Man, that's a... I guess it's too long for a tattoo. I was going to say, that's a, somebody, somebody raise their hand if they're going to get that one. Think about that, though. That's a memory verse right there. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That's the ESV of Isaiah 7, 9, the second half of it. What a follow-up for your retreat, I think. A word from God to you guys as you're on a retreat learning about faith to realize if you're not firm in your faith, if you're not resolved in your faith, you're not going to be firm at all. Your life's going to fall apart and your life's going to be like jello. Like, that's real impressive. Like, what was your, what was your life? It's nice to meet you, Mr. Dude in Heaven. What was your life like? It was like jello. Which is all over the place. Oh, that's, you were not firm in your faith, were you? No, I, was not, I would not be firm at all. I'm like jello, right? God puts the responsibility on our side. He says, if you are not firm in faith. So God does his part. We've noticed four ways that God strengthens us. But now he says, if you're not firm in your faith. So how can we be firm in our faith? What can we do to strengthen our faith proactively? So we're pausing at number four before we get to number five to talk about five ways that we can be firm in our faith because that's what God says to do. 
So we've seen four ways that God strengthens us in our faith. We're pausing before we get to number five. Now we're going to talk about five things that you could do this weekend to be proactive in building up your own faith. So now this is a little tricky if you're taking notes because you're on number four right now, but we're moving to number one. We're starting a new list of one to five, and then we're going to get to five again. So it's just going to be really weird to me. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, five. That's your notes. You might have to do some indenting just to make all this work. So how can we be firm in a God we can't see? Well, we, we, our definition of faith is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I like how they say that in the Amplified Version. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. It's faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to our senses. Great expansion of the definition of faith in the Amplified Bible for Hebrews 11.1. 1. How can I believe in a God I can't see? Well, blind people believe in stuff. That's just true. You know, like you can dis discover truth using more senses than sight. Like, I wish I could just see God. Well, you discover the truth of food by taste. You discover the truth of a cactus by touch. And you discover the truth of a, a rose by smell or Gideon's nasty diaper. There's truth in that diaper. Truth can be established in court using any of the five senses. All right? Faith comes from more than just seeing. And the first of five ways we can be proactive with our faith is that we can strengthen faith when we hear the word of God. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to have firmness in faith? Then you need to have firmness in hearing God's word. What does that look like? It, it looks like coming to youth group. All right? If you've been all over the place and, you know, this is your first time back in a while or you'd come once a month or whatever, you know what, you want to be firm in your faith? This is a place that you hear God's word. So be firm in coming here. I know what, I mean, I get it. If I was in high school and any of my basketball games or practices or any of that stuff conflicted with youth group, I'd go to the basketball games. But can I tell you that was dumb? <laughs> that was horrible. Basketball was my idol. And you guys have idols in your lives. Sports can be your idols. Academics can be your idols. Friends can be your idols. I'll embarrass Joe a little bit here, but I was blessed when Joe chose, being a super athletic guy, to come to CCS. He was, I, I, I told people this. I told probably half a dozen people this, even though he doesn't know. I was like, do you realize what he's doing? He's doing what I couldn't do in high school. He's saying the idol of sports isn't more important than God. That's impossible. That only happens if God is real. And, and Joe discovered that God is real. And so he said, you know what, even though he was awesome at sports, he said, I'm going to put that aside. I'll play sports at Calvary, but, you know, it may not be as competitive as at a public school or whatever. He says, I believe in God. I'd rather be around God. I couldn't do that. I had too weak faith, too much weak faith when I was in high school. You want to have firm faith, firmness comes in hearing the word of God. So come to youth group, go to church, read your Bible every day. Simplest thing you can do, right? If you want to say, I want to have a successful life and go to heaven. If that's your goal, who, think, who thinks they'd like to have a successful life and, and not burn in hell? Raise your hand if that's something that describes you. Good. Most of you do. All right? Read your Bible every day. That's it. I made that a, a vow of mine in college. I'd rededicated my life. This is going to be like an hour-long Bible study. Get over it. I, I rededicated my life like 39 times. And in college, I'm like, why do I have to keep rededicating my life every couple weeks? I go back to my old sinful habits. Why does that keep happening? I wasn't reading the Bible. So I made a vow to read the Bible every day, even if I was sinning. Oh, that's a little twist. Right? I said, even if, like I was the previous year and a half at college, even if I'm out drinking, even if I'm being dumb, you know, partying and doing things like that, I will read the Bible every day. Because like D.L. Moody says, how far from God can you really get when you're getting into the scriptures every 24 hours? You really, you can't get in too much trouble if every 24 hours you check in with God. Make that a lifelong habit. You'll be successful spiritually and you'll go to heaven. 
There's just, the odds just are astronomical in your favor. If you make that one simple thing, you have it. The second thing we can do to strengthen our faith, if you're taking notes, is we strengthen faith by thinking about who promised. Who makes promises in the scriptures? Well, you strengthen your faith by thinking about who promised everything in the scriptures. The author is God, and God is good, and he cannot lie, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So an all-powerful God, an all-good God, and an unchanging God is making you promises. That probably means it's going to happen. So if you read a cool promise in the scriptures, you know, if you read something cool, you're like, oh man, my life's going to be blessed if I read the scriptures, and you read stuff like that in the Bible, that's an all-powerful God who's able to accomplish anything. He's all good, so he's going to give you goodness, and he's never going to change. But that, the author of the scriptures is good. So you want to build your faith? Think about who God really is, and your faith will, will go through the roof, or down through the roof if you're in Mark chapter 2. Verse, number three. Sorry, Bible, Bible nerd joke. Uh, third way we can strengthen our own faith proactively we strengthen faith by remembering why God promises. Why does God promise? Well, mostly God makes promises in the Bible for his own glory. And God's glory is safe. You don't have to worry about it. God's not going to stain the shine of the crown of his glory by not coming through with one of his promises. It's like, man, why would God? God is so good. Why would he promise me this? Why? For his own glory. God wants to bring glory to his own name. And he's not going to let you ruin that. And you just think about, man, God is only promising me these things because he wants glory himself and his glory is safe and you're going to have your faith built up. And the fourth way we can strengthen our faith is by reviewing God's past works in your own life. So strengthen your faith by reviewing God's past works. So, you know, there's already been battles in your life that God has given you victory in. God has never failed you. That doesn't mean that your life always goes the way you want it to go. It means God has never failed you. He's always been there right beside you when you're going through difficult times. Keep a prayer journal. You forget how good God is to you. You forget all the time. Keep a prayer journal. Remind yourself that God is good. So we strengthen our faith by reviewing God's past works. And the fifth way that we can strengthen our own faith is we strengthen faith by tithing. By giving God money. What? What? Malachi 3, if you're taking notes. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 11. I'm not going to read it. But God's basically like, why are you guys robbing me? And everyone's like, you're God. How are we robbing you? And he's like, by not giving me money. By not giving the money that you're supposed to to the Levites, to the temple. And he goes, try me now in this. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and bless you. God is saying, I know you love your money, but be faithful. You tie that church like, you know, God encourages you to do. You take some of your birthday money or your hard-earned money from the summer job you have, and you use some of it to sponsor a fellow friend to go on the winter retreat, to use your own money to buy a Bible for your friend instead of your mama's money. That's giving to God. And if you give to God, he always outgives you. How does that strengthen your faith? You wouldn't give God money if he was fake. You love money. You love it. You love it. You're like that creepy little guy in Lord of the Rings. That's not what he says, actually. He doesn't squeal like a rat. He's like, precious. Right? And he's all freaking out about a ring. You, every time you see money, you're like, precious. You know, and you start drool. You got a little drool cup you got to carry around. You're like, oh, money. Oh, money. And you're just collecting drool because you love money that much. If God was fake, you better believe you're not giving God money because he's fake. But if you believe in God, you're going to give him money. He doesn't need your money. He wants to show you that you're greedy and you need to repent and you need to trust in him. When you give away your money and you're like, oh, now I don't know how I'm going to pay to go on a retreat because I sponsored somebody else on the retreat. And then all of a sudden, God, you know, somebody sponsors you and you're like, God is real. It's an opportunity to have your faith strengthened because you wouldn't give God money if he was fake. It proves that you believe in him. So five things you can do this weekend before we move on. We strengthen faith when we hear the word of God. Number two, we strengthen faith by thinking about who promised what we see in the scriptures. Number three, we, we strengthen faith by remembering why God promises his glory. We strengthen faith by reviewing God's past works in our life. 
We strengthen faith by tithing or giving money to the kingdom. Now back in Isaiah 7, remember God says, if you're not firm in faith, so those are five things we can do to firm ourselves up in faith. What is, what is the fifth one? Well, we're going to get to that. But notice in Isaiah 7 in verse 10 that God is going to give Ahaz a second chance. Ahaz is really, like you could say he's royally screwing up because he's a king. So he's like royally screwing this up. He's, he's just not doing good at all. God's still going to give him another chance. Look at this phrase, verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so Ahaz tries to act all spiritual. He's like, I'm not going to test God. What he really didn't want was he didn't want a prophet, you know, con you know, confirming supernaturally what he was supposed to do. All right? He didn't want that to happen. Um, so it's never wrong to do what God says if God says, give me a sign. But Ahaz is trying to be all super spiritual. For Ahaz, this is like a short-term fulfillment, most likely. And so there's probably a woman in the royal household, you know, one of the servants or whatever. Somebody probably gave birth and named their kid Emmanuel. But this is a prophecy that was spoken just to Ahaz and nobody else knew it. And all of a sudden this baby's born like the next day and they're like, what's your baby's name? Emmanuel. And he's like, oh! And Emmanuel means God with us. And if God is really with you, Ahaz, you know, then why are you afraid? What's there to fear? So it should have been good enough for Ahaz, but he chose to trust in man, like we said. So we're almost finished here. The fifth way that God strengthens our faith, right? We had four ways that God strengthens our faith, five ways that we can strengthen our own faith. This is the fifth way that God strengthens our faith is by revealing Jesus to us. So we're focusing on the distant fulfillment of this prophecy, the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 shows us that this prophecy was fulfilled in the virgin birth of Jesus. And that he is, he is Emmanuel, he's God with us. God is a human now, he's, you know, it's like he can interact with us. And so, God with us, the humble incarnation. What a faith builder to behold God himself. Imagine if you're there around Jesus and you figure it out, and you're like, you're, you're Jesus? should get that looked at seriously though that was nasty yeah it's like ugh. could you imagine Jesus I mean you, you imagine where all of a sudden they click the Holy Spirit all of a sudden said by the way that's that's God people got to hold, like hold God Mary was like I'm rockabye Jesus God Almighty on the treetop if the bow breaks you'll be fine you know it's like I mean like can you imagine People got to touch God. What a faith builder. Don't repeat any of this. <laughs> Hebrews 1 says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person it's when we see Jesus and come to know him in a personal relationship that our faith grows. Uh, every day we get to experience him more and more. So how does Jesus specifically strengthen our faith? Well, faith considers the work of Christ on the cross as proof of the Father's intention to fulfill his word towards us. That's what, when you look at Jesus, that's what you gotta think about. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If there was ever a time to back down from a promise, it would be when your son's about to die. That, if there was ever a time where the father's like, mm, I know I promised this, but I changed my mind. 
It's when his son's about to be nailed to a cross. And yet he didn't. And so if he allowed his word to go through in that situation, you better believe he's going to allow his word to go through in all of your situations. And so God desires to bless those that believe in him. And you get to know Jesus more and your faith will be strengthened so much. Hebrews 11:6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, grace comes from God's side, but faith is our responsibility. So God's going to give you grace. He's going to enable you. He's going to empower you to believe. He'll give you everything you need to believe. A reliable Bible, you know, conviction from the Holy Spirit, all kinds of evidence that God's, God exists. God's going to give you grace to believe. Faith is on you. You're held responsible for that. But Jesus responds to faith, doesn't he? Think about two situations. First, the centurion. Think about how Jesus responds to people that have faith. When Jesus heard about the centurion's faith, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And he performed a miracle and he healed his servant. Why? Because a centurion, a Gentile, had faith and he believed in Jesus and so Jesus responds to that faith by healing someone. But then think about it on the flip side. For those that don't believe in Jesus, like the people of Nazareth, it says that he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief. So Jesus is going to respond to you one way or another. If you have unbelief, then he can't do great works in your life. He can't use you for the kingdom of God. He might not be able to allow you to go to heaven because you don't have belief in him. But if you have belief in him, then God can use you. He, he can grant you access to heaven. He can support you now. I mean, the, God's going to respond to all of you in two different ways, in one of two ways. Well, how do I know? Well, are you living a life of unbelief? Do you ever pick up your Bible? Do you ever pray? When you pray, are you an absolute hypocrite because your life shows that you're heading in one direction, but you throw up a little token prayer because you're afraid to go to hell? You're going to show what you believe by how you live. Now, God will help you. You don't have to clean up your life and then give your life to the Lord. God will help you if you believe in him. He will give you the grace, but do you have the faith to turn from your friends and say, you know what? I'm sorry, I believe in Jesus. If that doesn't work for you, then we're done. I'm choosing Jesus. I had to do that. All I do is invest in, in college for the, first, for the first two years at NYU was invest in friendships of people that partied all the time and didn't care about Jesus at all. Then all of a sudden, God gets a hold of my life and I realized, man, I need to turn to Jesus. And I had the thought, wait, I don't have any Christian friends at all. I stopped going to church. I didn't go to any Christian groups at college. And I, I know that the Lord said to me, are you willing to be lonely and sad for four months until you meet some good Christian friends? I was like, four months? Four months? It's like a whole semester. It's like, yeah, and a little summer too. And I'm like, four months? And I had to sit there and choose. I counted the costs and said, am I willing? I'm not turning my back on my friends. I'm saying, hey, I'm a Christian now. And so we can still talk, but I'm not going to the bars with you anymore. I'll buy you some hot wings during lunch, and we can hang out and watch a sports game together, but I'm not getting drunk with you anymore. So if you want to be my friend, we're lunch friends now. We're not 2 a.m. friends anymore. So I wasn't turning my back on my friends. I was redefining the possibility of friendship and saying, what do you think? And a, and a few of them, a few of them only, said, all right, yeah, let's, let's hang out. And the rest of them said, you're lame. It's a phase. You'll get, out. You'll get over it. And you know what? I made that conscious decision and said, you know what? Yeah, you're worth, you're worth my whole life if I have to be lonely to choose you. And four months of literally, I'm in the middle of Manhattan, seven million people there, and I feel completely alone because I didn't know any Christians. It's about four months. And so I'm going to Christian groups and I'm being all lame and desperate. I'm like, oh, hi, hi. Do you, do you, do you need friends? <laughs> you know, I'm like totally being lame. Like, I didn't say that, but I'm sure it was written all over my face. I was like, hey, hey, what are, you, what are you guys doing? Like after the Christian group thing, <laughs> you know? And I was, I was pathetic because I had to be because I had no friends. It got bad. Do you know that there were nights where my roommates came home 
And I had to barricade the door to my room because they were sending girls to knock on my door and saying, come out and hang out with us. Come on. You know, like, that's ridiculous. You know, two in the morning, I'm being woken up because there's girls banging on my door saying, come party with us. And I'm like, Lord, I believe in you. I don't need that anymore. I don't need that. And I'm like barricading my door. I'm like, this is unfair, by the way, God. <laughs> you know, I have roommates. I'm like, that's not cool. I tell them in the morning, it's not cool. Or we thought it was funny. Four months, you know, four months of that. And then all of a sudden I met some Christian friends and I started coming back to church here and going to the college group and, and those people got me out of all my bad habits and I started trusting in the Lord and, and life got awesome. And instead of having this petty little joy where I was like, oh, I think I'm happy, but I'm really sad. I think I'm happy, oh, but shouldn't I be living my life for the Lord and, I, and just go, being miserable, thinking I'm out there partying, but every night I'd get home thinking, is this all there is to life? Is this, is this really what I want to spend the rest of my life doing when people are dying and going to hell? I want to be out partying and acting like God doesn't exist. And every single night, I'd get home after smiling all night drinking and just sit there and think, I know, God, I know. I know this isn't why you made me. And then finally, one day, I submitted my life to him in faith. So you know what? Some of you here tonight, I'm not asking you to turn your backs on your friends. They may turn their backs on you but I'm saying, is God worth it to choose him? If he's not, then that's, that's not fine, but that's your choice, and God will respond to that lack of faith by not granting you eternal life. That's not a scare tactic. You'd be an idiot not to want eternal life. Not only do you get billions of years of happiness in heaven, you get God being your buddy now. Right now, God begins to help you, walk you through difficult times, be your friend, encourage you. Why would you not want either of those things? So yeah, you're not going to go to heaven and you're going to burn. That's true if you don't have faith in God. That's true. But it's not just that. You're going to have a miserable existence. Everything is going to seem like a failure and life is difficult. It's going to be like you're swimming upstream and Niagara Falls is coming against you and you can't get anywhere because God's heading in that direction and you're heading in the wrong direction. It's not going to work. You need to choose tonight that you're going to have faith in God. And if you're a weak little Christian, you know, if you're like, hey, I come to church and youth group because my, my mommy and daddy bring me here, but the moment that I'm on my own, I'm not going to do those things, like, you know, like, like I did in college, you're just faking it, then you really need to strengthen your faith like we talked about tonight. Do these five things on your own to strengthen and build up your own faith and allow God in those opportunities of trials and messengers and all these ways we talked about to strengthen your faith as well. You're in one of those two positions tonight. You either have no faith, and hypocrisy isn't faith. That's no faith. Because if you say, I believe in, you know, that'd be like me, and this, this is a sad, horrible, tragic example. That'd be like me saying, no, honey, I love you. I love you, my wife, Shannon, I love you. But then I'm going to go cheat on you. But I love you, but I'm going to cheat on you. No, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. I love you, but I'm going to go cheat on you. Do, you. do you see how that doesn't work? Do you see how you can't say, God, I love you with your mouth and then go live your life completely apart from God? If my wife doesn't buy it, you better believe God isn't going to buy it. God will not be mocked. You can choose. You can choose tonight or you can go out there and get hit by a car and you forgot to choose and it's too late. Or you can live to 90 years old and be so distracted by all the cool technologies and things out there and you never choose because you forgot about it. You have your options, but you need to choose. You've been given the opportunity, all right? And so we need to pray for stronger faith. We need to be like the father of the boy who is demon-possessed in Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is like, if you just believe, I can help your son. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And some of you need to pray that prayer tonight. You're like, Lord, I believe. I'm a Christian, but boy, do I have a lot of unbelief in my life based on my actions, based on how I spend my time. That's a prayer the Lord loves to answer. You can, you can pray that prayer tonight in faith, knowing that God is going to do amazing things in your life. A missionary to India said this, Amy Carmichael. She said, we will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. Life seems like it's going to go on and on and on, but it, it, you have no guarantee of that. I could list a dozen ways about why this world is terrifying, between terrorists, nuclear bombs, rise of Islam, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, 
I mean, e Ebola, the disease is just about to explode outside of Africa and come to, a, come to a neighborhood near you. I mean, this world is terrifying. But you know what? God is beautiful. So yeah, the world's terrifying. So choose God because the world's terrifying. But choose God because he's more beautiful than any option that you have around here. You've got a few short hours before sunset to choose God. And then your choice has been made. And you'll be, you, you're either going to be bowing down saying, my king is here. You're going to be bowing down quivering saying, it's too late. And now I'm going to be judged. God will give you the grace to live a life for him. He will empower you to make difficult decisions, to count the costs and to choose to follow him. You're responsible for your faith. Be firm in your faith. And so, Father, Lord, I pray that we would make those choices. I know that there are some people in this room that are living their lives for themselves. Uh, their Facebook pages, their Instagrams prove that they don't think about you at all. You're just not really a thought that comes across their minds. And yet you're the, the king of the universe. You're the one that sustains our very world. And yet they don't give you any respect at all. Lord, if there's people here that need to choose to believe in you, they need to rededicate their lives to you, then, Father, they need to do that. They need to make that choice before it's too late. And if there's any here that they really do love you, in their best moments they're like, I love you, Jesus, but they just have a weak faith, then, Lord, would you strengthen their faith by doing one of these five things that we know you do throughout our life? Would you begin to do those things to strengthen our faith? Bring us trials. Bring us messengers. Show us, show us your victory in advance. Help us to have the grace, you know, the, the smarts to work on our faith on our own. We need to do that. And so, Father, give us boldness and courage to make those choices for you. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts now. And so if you're, if you're sitting here tonight and the lights are on bright, people can see you. Even though when the lights are dark, God can see you all the time. If you're sitting here tonight and you realize that you have weak faith that needs to be strengthened or that you have no faith, you may call yourself a Christian, but you really have no faith because your life lives in a completely different direction than the direction of God. If that describes you, if you feel like, man, I just feel like I have weak faith and I want to grow in my faith and let God strengthen my faith, or I've got no faith and I realized it tonight that I can't fool God. I'm not fooling Andy and I can't fool God either. If that describes you, if you're like, I got weak faith or I have no faith, then why don't you guys stand up so I can pray for you? And that could just be a bold decision where you're like, I believe in God, and this is important enough where I'm going to stand up in front of people and let people know that I have weak faith or no faith. People aren't, maybe people will ask you what category you fall in. Did you have to, I saw you stand. Do you have weak faith or no faith? Who cares? Answer the question. If you believe in God, isn't it important? I mean, we're, as Christians, we're supposed to be the ones encouraging each other. You should be hoping people see you and say, you know what, I want to encourage you. I want to pray with you weekly. I want to, I'm going to be remind, remembering you in my own prayers. So, Please don't stand up because other people are standing up. God forbid you do that. Peer pressure doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't sanctify you. But if you honestly feel like examining your life, you have weak faith or no faith, then just please stand up in the next few seconds so I can pray for you. Yes, we can see you. It's okay. This is church. So I'm going I'm to pray for all of you. If, if you really believe like you have no faith, then tonight you need to be praying and asking God to give you faith in Jesus Christ, to make you born again, to make you a part of his kingdom, and then to strengthen your faith enough so that you begin to make those difficult choices to count the costs and follow God. And if you really do, you, you feel like you are a child of God, but you have weak faith, then I want you to pray tonight and, and talk to people about how you can strengthen your own faith. All right? And either of those categories are worth talking to one of the leaders, to your parents if they're Christians, to me, or whatever you think, if you need some accountability and need some prayer. So, Father, for those standing, um, I thank you that they had the boldness to stand, even though the lights aren't dimmed and it's not dark, Lord because your eyes pierce through our soul. You see every wicked thought, and you see every beautiful thought in our minds. You tell us our hearts are wicked, but you desire to give us a brand new heart. Some are standing here, Lord, 
and, and while they've been raised in the church, they're re recognizing, I really don't have my own faith. I just kind of come out because my parents tell me. If, Lord, if there's people here and you know they're standing because they don't have faith, and Lord, would you give them the faith and help them to trust in you, to believe in your son Jesus as God, to repent of their sins, believe that your death on the cross is enough to cover their sins, that you rose again three days later, proving that your sacrifice was enough and that they'll go to heaven if they just believe in you. Lord, but faith without works is dead, and they need to start making those tough choices, even if they're embarrassing choices, to follow after you. Give them strength and, and faith to even say no to their friends and say, I'd rather spend time with the Lord than with you or, or, or attempting to do both and being a good witness. Whatever it is, Lord, would you please make them born again. And for those that have weak faith but are already your children, thank you for speaking to their hearts and for desiring, Lord, to give them great faith. You've shown us tonight that you desire to strengthen their faith. Now may they this weekend uh, have the courage to then put some of these things into practice and strengthen their own faith by getting into the scriptures and asking these questions about who you really are and why you make these promises. So Lord, you know the category that people fall into here and you know there's one or two people sitting down right now that they're just too weak to even stand up and yet they're praying because they love you or they're afraid of you. Would you answer those prayers as well because you're merciful we can't put you in a box, Lord, you know. We thank you. We thank you that you won't be mocked, that you call us to choose. May our lives shine brightly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down. Now, if you did stand, then it would make sense, whether it's tonight or Sunday or next week or at home or, or whatever, it would make sense to talk to a leader or to a Christian that you respect and that you trust and say, hey, I stood because of this, can you help me? That would make sense. And if you're friends with somebody that stood up, then be a friend, for goodness sake. What are you gonna talk about? The Yankees? You're not gonna talk about the San Diego sports team? <laughs> I have not given over to those people yet. So talk to them and be like, hey, I, I noticed that you stood. Was that just a reflex? <laughs> or were you responding to God's Holy Spirit? <laughs> talk to them. Of course it's gonna be awkward because you don't talk about God enough, but it's gonna become less awkward and that's what real Christian friends do is they encourage each other in the faith, hold each other accountable, pray for each other. So whether it's tonight, outside, inside, or some other time, or sending me a message on Insta, Twit book, or whatever. I'm sure I have an account. You can, whatever it is, make sure you don't go through this battle on your own or you might not get through it at all, all right? So Shannon and I love you guys. We're praying for you guys. We'll be at Sunday service and we'd love to talk to you guys too, okay? God bless.